This episode of On the Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles Curbside Pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, everybody, Mike Griffith here, live from Indianapolis. My hotel room, pretty exciting. Not. Uh, man, it's been a, a busy, gosh, how many days have I been here? I guess we got here on Friday, Friday morning. And I went out to the coaches' arrival press conferences out at the Indianapolis airport. They got here uh, late Friday night. Uh, Bama got here at about what 7:30, or no, excuse me, about 6:30, and then George came a little about a little bit more than an hour later. And uh, you know, Nick Saban was was kind of brief to the point, relaxed. Uh, th- this leather bomber jacket that he had on became like the biggest news ever. Like. I don't know if, if people are just looking for things to be interested in and Nick Saban or fascinated about, but I don't know about you, but I've seen a lot of people wear leather coats, maybe in Alabama because it's not cold often. You don't see leather bomber coats, but that's been a pretty popular style uh, for the last, I don't know, 80 years. And I think it's still popular, but everybody made a big deal out of Nick Saban wearing this jacket. And I was just kind of like, okay. He wore a leather bomber jacket. Had you ever seen him wear it before the players were asked? What did you think about Coach Saban's leather jacket? I'm thinking the same that I think of the one at Belk and Marshalls and any other place you go in that you can buy anywhere this winter. I don't know. So that part, I guess everything at the national championship game just gets kind of blown out of proportion. Oh, my gosh, Nick Saban, he's wearing a leather coat to stay warm in the winter. Wow. Right? And then Kirby came in. And, and Kirby said that, uh, you know, his wife had packed a jacket for him because he'd forgotten. Well, there's a story. I mean, is it? Are we – people were anxious. They were eager. I, I will say this. Kirby's disposition, I thought, was, was really interesting. Uh, throughout the season, as you know, Kirby uh, can be, oh, I don't know, um, you know, combative, I suppose, with the media and edgy. You know, that's just his nature. I don't think it's like, yeah, that's Kirby. No, that's like, that's Kirby. Like, if Kirby's not doing something that helps him win a championship, then it's a waste of his time. I mean, really, he's he's so determined. And I've told you guys before on the programs that you can answer most every question on Kirby Smart as, does it help him win a championship, yes or no? That's going to determine his answer. And in Kirby's mind, talking with the media is not going to help him win a championship. So that's probably, but but this time he was trapped. The airport arrival is a is a uh, is a press conference that's mandatory, and because it's mandatory, I think Kirby, you know, plays the role, and and I think he was genuinely excited to be in Indianapolis. Touchdown! Finally, get to this point in the journey, and he was very charismatic, and that's the, you know, and Kirby is charismatic with recruits and boosters, but he was charismatic just in general. And that struck me. And and he was calm. And I think Kirby Smart knows that Georgia is ready for this. And I had my questions after the SEC, and I know you do too, or did, after the SEC championship game, watching Georgia lose 41-24. And how in the world can this happen? Well, to me, you know, this was the chickens coming home to roost, honestly. I mean, I thought to myself, All year long, we knew that secondary was susceptible. We saw it in bits and pieces. We saw it against South Carolina. We saw it against Clemson. We saw it against Tennessee early. 
And all year long, we wondered if Stetson Bennett could generate generate enough offense if he was pushed. Uh, we saw him struggle against Florida. Um, there were other bad throws in other games and bits and pieces where it just didn't look. And, he, and sure enough, you know, he wasn't able to respond. Um, you know, we wonder how Kirby could manage a game against Alabama. He hadn't beaten him yet. No, he didn't beat him this time either. So the concerns that we had going into that game that had built up throughout the season, they were all manifested and, and they all proved correct. And it was kind of like, you know what? Wow. You know, they, you know, Stetson wasn't good enough. The secondary wasn't good enough. Kirby's plan wasn't good enough. And it, it was just a punch in the nose because everything else throughout the season was so good. And it was so good that you thought to yourself, they're good enough that those three things, Kirby's history against Bama, Stetson Bennett, and the secondary, those three things won't get a beat because they're so good in the front seven. And Brock Bowers is so good. The run game and James Cook and the offensive line and special teams. But no, on that night, those things came back to beat Georgia and, and, and beat him bad. I mean, it was 41-24, but, you know, walking out of Mercedes-Benz Stadium that night, you're just like, man, is Georgia ever, you know, and what's going to happen next, okay? Because sure enough, they drew Michigan, and here Michigan had all this momentum. And you're thinking, man, Michigan, power football team, you know, we're all looking at this matchup, you know, touchdown spread going to be close. And how is Georgia going to come out of the corners? I've said it's kind of like a kind of like when you're watching a boxing, and we don't watch a lot of boxing anymore. It's not popular anymore. But back in the day, you know, a guy gets boxed, bop, 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 bop. The referee bell rings, you know, and the guy kind of staggers back to the corner. And and you know, his trainer sprays the water all over his face and puts the salve on his cuts, and you know, he's slapping him in the face. You know, are you okay? Are you okay? And the boxer's going, Yeah, he's okay. And but you don't really know. How that guy's, you know, when the bell rings and the next round starts, is he really okay? And that was kind of my thought on Georgia. Like, man, Alabama just beat the tar out of them. And are they are they okay? How are they going to respond to this? Will the human nature, could some human nature kick in? Could the players, key players, leadership be so despondent that they say, you know what? We're not going to be able to beat Bama couple months away from being a millionaire, distractions, uh, lack of focus. You know, we hadn't seen that from George all year, but we've seen that happen to teams before in the postseason. Well, Georgia came roaring out in Miami. They played outstanding. That first half was so ridiculously good, 27 to 3. I mean, just complete domination for Georgia. And the second half wasn't as dominant. And Todd Munkin said, you know, well, you know, we we just want to run clock or whatever. We want to protect our players. I don't like that. I still don't like that part of Georgia. In a perfect world, I think Georgia should keep the throttle down, keep throwing, keep helping your defense by scoring points and being aggressive with the football. But that's not how this team's built. This team is built on its defense. This team is built on not on trying to avoid mistakes on offense and minimizing mistakes on offense by not throwing it any more than they have to pretty much. So the second half kind of stalled out on the scoreboard, but I don't put that on the, on the players. I put that more just on the, the game plan. Like, okay, it's 27 to three. Let's not do anything stupid. Let's just get out of here. Let's run as much clock as we can. Let's not make any dangerous throws. 
maybe soften up a little bit on defense, trade time for yardage, yardage for time. So that was more game. But then you just wonder, well, geez, you hate it. It's fine. It's fine. You know, so I get here and I'm thinking, all right, let me hear these guys. I want to hear what Kirby says. I want to psychoanalyze this, right? I mean, I've been doing this a long time. I guess 1993 was my first year on an SEC beat. And I've been covering football since. So you think you kind of get a feel uh, for these sort of games. And even though Alabama, you know, has proven to get better and better and better, um, I feel like talking to the players this week, I've just, I'm sensing and hearing a different level of resolve. I'm seeing a team that is still humbled. I think when you win the way Georgia won all year long, when you dominate teams 40 to, I guess 40 to six was the average score, 40 to eight was the average score in SEC games, uh, something ridiculous like that. And then you play ridiculously bad teams to end your year, Charleston Southern and Georgia Tech. It's just terrible football teams, just terrible, terrible football teams, a waste of your time. It's almost like Georgia lost a little bit of their stinger by playing such crappy teams at the end of the year. Now, we looked at it as a positive. Oh, well, look, they don't got to play anybody. You can rest guys, get healthy. This will be easy. But in a way, I kind of think Georgia lost their edge a little bit. I almost think they lost, as I said, they lost their stinger, right? And and Alabama, meanwhile, was, was getting better. I mean, Kirby talked about how he wanted a Georgia, his Georgia team to ascend each week. I think Alabama actually ascended each week. You know, Georgia, I don't know that they really ascended each week after mid-October. Frankly, you know, the Florida game, uh, I think the Adam Anderson situation probably was a gut punch for this team. I don't know if if they really got any better after that. I would say they didn't, just to be frank with you. Um, And and I think it was a distraction. And I don't think that's a negative or, uh, you know, put it on anybody. I think it's just human nature. You know, one of the close, one of the team leaders, a team captain, a player who was close to others, you know, got arrested on charges of rape. That's a distraction. Imagine if somebody in your office that you work with every day, you know, suddenly wasn't there. You, you know, one of your most productive people got arrested for, you know, would that be a distraction for you? Of course it would. And of course it was a distraction for Georgia. You know, it's not like some computer game where you just put in the next guy and you go from a 97 rated player to Robert Beal and a 90 rated player. I mean, this is real life. Okay. And so I think that I think that was a factor for George. And I think that, you know, the team was still excellent. It was still number one. It was still worthy, but it lost something. It lost a little. It just lost the synergy. Right. And playing those two cruddy teams at the end of the year. And then you play a Bama team that's been ascending. That's got a very special quarterback and they strike their note and get hot. And Georgia just couldn't answer. They they just couldn't. They weren't good enough. Stetson wasn't good enough to answer in the second quarter. There were a couple three and outs. The defense wasn't good enough to get that stop when Bama scored on four or five straight possessions. And, and that's how that game went. And it staggered Georgia. And it humbled Georgia. And Georgia has collectively had to make up their mind, like, how are they going to approach it when they got back uh, from their break? Because then they had a break, right? And what were the practices going to be like? Well, one of the things I found out this week, and I thought was really interesting, and I wrote a story about Jordan Davis today, very telling story. Georgia has been doing more conditioning 
And you might say, well, what's the big deal? No, they've really been getting after it. And Jordan Davis said, you know, that they, their conditioning wasn't what it should have been. I thought that was really interesting um, to hear from him that he didn't feel like the conditioning was where it needed to be. Certainly, I look at Jordan now, and maybe I'm just imagining it. I don't think so, but it almost looks like hes you can see his face is a little thinner. I feel like he's lost weight. And, and we've heard Kirby talk about how Jordan weight, Jordan's weight fluctuates. And, and this is hard, and, and, and I don't pick on people or Jordan for this, but it's some of the bigger people have a hard time with weight issues. And Kirby's talked about that throughout Jordan's career and said he kind of likes him in this window. And maybe Jordan got a little heavy, right? And, and, he, and he felt it. And there were times when you saw him in the Alabama game where he didn't look like the guy we saw most of the year. And I asked him about that on the Zoom call. And he was very honest about it. And he said it did hurt him personally. I think he is genuinely hurt that it got away from him for a little while. And I think he is pledged, you know, to excellence. And I think he's worked really hard for this. And, you know, just, you know, like I think he was really hurt. Like you could just, when I asked him the question, his tone just changed. And, and uh, you know, he really looked in the mirror. And this is a guy who really loves his team and loves his school and and loves the fans. And, and uh, he's going to give everything for you. I can just feel it. And I feel like that from Jordan Davis. I feel like the Nolan Smith, I almost feel like it was a testimony. I wrote about that, how Nolan pledged to finish the job. You know, Nolan is one of the more vocal players. Um, he's also one of the more inspirational players. And, and I think that Nolan's tone and is in lockstep with Jordan, is in lockstep with Nicobe. I just hear this tone from the Georgia defense that these guys have a lot of resolve. They have a lot of resolve. And, you know, Jordan joked about the gingerbread man, which I just love. I think that's funny. I think it fits. I know Bryce Young likes it. I texted his dad, uh, Bryce Young's dad, Craig, and I said, hey, this is, I think this is really a cool compliment and really neat because I, because, uh, you know, Bryce is a really cool guy. I mean, the Alabama quarterback, Bryce Young, is a really neat person. He's so respected. And uh, there, there's nice and good kids on both teams here. But Bryce is a really special football player. And we'll talk more about him later. But I think everybody kind of got a kick out of that, right? Like, George is after the gingerbread man. And that's, you know, and, and Jordan said that the Georgia players picked that up uh, watching Hard Knocks. I guess that's what the Colts refer to uh, Cardinals quarterback Kyler Murray as the gingerbread man. And uh, it's just kind of a funny analogy in comparison because, uh, boy, Bryce is, uh, you know, he's he is special and it's fun. So you read that story from Jordan Davis. I, I think that conditioning uh, that George has been doing the extra conditioning, I think that's really important. I wrote, a, I've written a lot of stories, actually, but uh, or obviously, but one of the stories I wrote, that uh, I felt pretty good about was my X Factor story and talked to a lot of people. You know, one of the cool things about event coverage um, is you get a chance to network and talk with the people from the other team. You know, we read what they write and, and that's good. But when you can actually sit down with the beat writer and, and say, hey, you know, what's up? What, what, what's the real deal here? What's the skinny, you know, or talk with someone from ESPN who gets insider access uh, you know, you, you just gain a lot more by being in events as a reporter. Uh, if you're, you know, if you're doing your job right, and you're, you're networking, um, you know, and, and so talking with Alabama writers, you know, 
talking with George, more Georgia people, I think the number one key in this game is Stetson Bennett's ability to run the football. And, and I don't think he's going to run it 10 times or 15 times, but this is a game where four or five third down conversions at key times means everything. And, and, that, and that's an area where Stetson has struggled, uh, particularly on the third and longs. Uh, I think he's only at about 30% throwing the ball. That's not good. That's not a good percentage on third and long. So obviously I, you, you want to stay out of third and long, number one. You want to stay ahead of the chains like Georgia did against Michigan. There are all those third and ones and third and twos, and, you know, that's easy money, right? But you get into third and long where it's an obvious pass situation, and Georgia struggled in that area. And, and that's why I think Stetson's ability to run is so important, not just on third down conversion runs, which, by the way, he's done uh, seven times out of the 18 times that Georgia has been in third and long. Stetson's converted by run. Now he also has been sacked six times. And there's also been another five occasions where he didn't make the first down. Uh, he needs to be better there. I know Kirby believes in him. I know Munkin believes in him. I think you guys have read the comments. Todd Munkin's doubled down and, and absolutely knows they can win with, with uh, Stetson. Uh, you've heard Kirby talk about that. I don't think the coach's confidence in Stetson Bennett, I don't think there's any doubt. But for all their confidence, we need to see that on the field. I mean, we're we're just a viewing on. Don't blame us. We're just looking at the game. I mean, you can say he can do it, but until he does it, there's going to be people that question it. And I think one of the keys to Stetson being at his best is when he runs the ball. And when I think about this course of the season, the happiest Kirby was after a game was probably the Auburn game. Um, I felt – well, the Michigan guy game, obviously. But during the regular season – and that was Stetson's career high in rushing yardage. His career high rushing yardage in a game is 41 yards. It's really not that much. Uh, his career long run is 30 yards. Again, really not that much. I think he could surpass both of those numbers against Alabama. I really do, because I think the tide is really going to buckle down to stop the run game. I think they've got to commit uh, extra defenders to Brock Bowers. I think they have to be on the lookout for James Cook. And I think there'll be some man concept within that coverage. And as most of you that watch football closely, when you see man coverage, the defensive backs will often have their back to the line of scrimmage or even the linebackers in coverage. And when that happens, that enables the quarterback to run. And, and really, if, you know, if he's able to break contain or if he's able to find an alley uh, and somebody loses their gap control, you know, there's there's 20, 30 yards available before the first defender. And and then, you know, Stetson has shown us he can make guys miss. So he's quick. Uh, he can make players miss in the open field. And I think his ability to run is going to be key because in the last game, Georgia was 3-12 on third downs against Alabama. And that's, that's just not going to work. Uh, so that's something to look at. I think that's something that Kirby sees in practice. I think that's one of those hidden things, you know, when everybody's going, why is Stetson in there? Why is Stetson in there? I think Kirby's seen Stetson do that in practice more than we've seen him doing it in the games. You know, Stetson said earlier this year, he made a reference to not really liking to get hit. Um, I don't know many people that do like to get hit, but the fact that he said it kind of raised an eyebrow because I don't hear most guys say it. So you know, it's not easy to get hit. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but I think he recognizes what's in the, what's on the line, and I think you're going to see Stetson Bennett turn it loose and have more than 50 yards rushing.
I think the second X factor is, is Brock Bowers. You know, Brock has been a constant for Georgia. Um, you heard Greg Olson, a future Hall of Fame tight end, largely played with the Carolina Panthers, you know, sing his praises. Um, you know, anybody that's watched Brock and broken down film, and now that the national media has kind of swooped in on this game, more and more people are becoming aware of Brock Bowers and, and just how special this guy is. Uh, you know, a throwback, as I call him. You just don't see a guy, a freshman player, 6'4", 230, come in and dominate like this. You don't expect dominant efforts from the tight end position. You know, you can go back and count on one hand the number of dynamic tight ends. You know, you hear Travis Kelsey. I I heard the comparison of George Kittle from the get-go on this guy, more so than Kelsey. Uh, you, know, you think back to you know Tony Gonzalez. How many great, dominant, game-breaking tight ends have there really been? You know, not many. Okay, and Brock Bowers is is his own creature. Uh, he's his, he has his own skill set. The forty-inch vertical. I think the thing that stands out is the catch radius. Uh, he can make a lot of bad throws look good. Um, you know, anything in his vicinity. Uh, he can really put it. He, he's got that Pickens catch radius. Georgia's got two guys in Pickens and Bowers with with two of the greatest catch radiuses in college football. Make no mistake about it. Two out of the top five catch radius. And what I mean by catch radius is catching a ball that's not like put right on them. I mean a ball can be off target three feet, and these guys can bend, jump, uh, adjust, and and it's just huge. And they and they have great hands, right? Now, I haven't seen as much from Pickens. He's more of a perimeter downfield guy. And, and we know that that deep outs, not steps throw. Every quarterback has strengths and weaknesses. Uh, but Bowers is a guy and the run after the catch from Brock Bowers. So uh, but first things first, you know, what's his health? Right. So we saw him leave the Orange Bowl early and Kirby told us, oh, yeah, actually, he could have gone back in. You know, that was precautionary. And then Kirby said, well, you know, banged up just a few weeks ago. And then Kirby said, well, actually, he's been hurt all year and playing with it and we'll see after the season if he needs surgery and I'm kind of thinking okay now which one is it here you know <laughs> I mean this is making me wonder is there more is there more you know uh so that's one thing I look for early is like all right where's where's Brock Bowers is he good is he 100 you remember last time they played Alabama Brock had uh 16 balls thrown to him 16 he caught 10 of them for 139 um so he's obviously the key to the offense. He's the most important guy in the George offense. I think he's the most indispensable player on the George offense. I, I think he is the most indispensable player right now on the Georgia football team. I really do. I think he's the team MVP um, because, you know, there's so many great players on defense. There's so much depth. And I think there's depth on offense, but the one guy that's irreplaceable is Brock Bowers because of his ability to match, create matchup problems because of that catch radius, because of his ability after the catch, he is the go-to guy. And you heard Nick Saban sing his praises and, and you just don't hear Nick Saban, you know, talk about guys like that very often. And the third key, and, and of course you all would agree, I'm sure is the, is a pass rush, right? You got to get home. You know, 15 quarterback pressures was great on Bryce Young, but you didn't get a sack first time this season. And it's going to be really important uh, that Georgia gets to Bryce Young, not just for the negative play that it creates in the down and distance situation, 
but I think just from a psychological standpoint, you know, Brock, you know, uh, uh, Bryce is, like I said, he's special and he's poised, but he's a human being, right? And when you land on him with 300 pounds, he's going to feel it. And he didn't really have to feel that. So I think those are really uh, key factors in that football game. Now, conversely, I uh, really, one of the things that I appreciate about Georgia getting to the national championship game is a reporter is all the people that we get to talk to because we don't get to talk to coordinators during the season. I think you would agree, you know, that you've enjoyed hearing more from Todd Munkin and Dan Lanning. And, and in my case, I wanted to hear the Alabama defensive coordinator, Pete Golding, because uh, Nick Saban, well, Kirby, like Nick Saban, doesn't let coordinators talk. That's where he gets it from because Nick doesn't do it. He's not going to do it. So it was cool to hear Pete Golding say, uh, you know, what he thought the keys were stopping Georgia. And he said the big thing for any quarterback is that what they see uh, is not necessarily what they get every snap. So what do we mean by that? Well, we're talking now about the pre-snap read. And when we start talking about flying the jet and running Todd Munkin's offense, what does that require? Well, the quarterback goes to the line of scrimmage, and based on what he sees, he checks to – an appropriate play, right? He'll have a pass play called. There's also a run play available that he can check to or vice versa. Run play called, pass play check to. All right, so he can adjust the play based on what he sees. He has to set his protections, so he's got to be able to identify the blitz, and then he's got to set the protection, shift the line towards or away from, depending on what he sees, and then he's got to make some side adjustments with the receivers uh, and make sure that the routes are fitting the coverage. So there's so much that goes into quarterbacking a pro-style offense, and, and that's why you hear flying the jet, because when the, before the jet takes off, the pilot goes through all those you know pre-flight reads, and it's kind of like that in a Todd Munkin offense. And you know you have to respond to the defense appropriately. If you respond to the defense appropriately – with your checks, with your protections, with your routes, with your calls, something's going to be there. That's how good Todd Munkin is. Todd Munkin is that good, folks. I mean to tell you, this guy is special. Georgia needs to pony up, uh, get him what he wants, pay him what he wants. There's just not guys like this growing on trees. There's just not. And uh, he doesn't have to be the best recruiter. That's that's not his thing, man. He's there because of that NFL acumen. So, so where does Alabama fit in? Where does Golding fit in? Well, Golding says, well, you know what? We know that, that the quarterback's making these reads, so we have to disguise what we're really doing. And then once the ball snapped, Alabama's coverage is shift. You know, and all of a sudden, now Stetson's got to think, or JT or whoever's in the game, or whoever Alabama's playing, they've got to think while they're, oh, this is not what I thought. Now what do I do because the coverage is this? So now what, be, you know, and this is all happening in real time where you have to think on your feet. And not only do you have to think on your feet, but then you have to have the arm talent to make the throw that you need, or perhaps even scramble and make a play because the primary is not there. And, and that's where Stett got in trouble. And that's why I go back to him being able to run the ball. Because look, if it's not there, man, don't force it. That's what we've seen. That's what we've learned. That's when Stetson gets in trouble. It's when a lot of quarterbacks get in trouble is when the play breaks down, you know, they force things and it's almost a scramble drill. And how effective are you in that scramble? I'll give you a great example. There was a play where Brock Bowers is running across the middle. Stetson scrambling 
and Stetson throws it. Bowers stops, okay, because Bowers is in space. And so he sits, like like you say, he's saying sit in his own. He sits in the space, and Stetson's rolling and anticipates Bowers continuing to run. Well, Bowers doesn't continue to run because there's two defenders there. And, he's, and why would he run into two defenders? He wouldn't. He feels it. He sits. Stetson doesn't see the defenders, but he sees Brock. He throws it. It's picked off, and people are going, oh, he quit on his route. It's like, no, he didn't quit on his route. He he saw the defenders and he sat in open space. But but these are the kind of, you know, this is kind of the telepathy. Did I say that word right? That the quarterback and the receiver have to have, you know, the, the ability to, to be on the same wavelength in these drills. And it takes time. And you've heard Kirby and Munkin say, hey, well, you know, uh, which has been interesting. You know, well, you know, Stetson really hasn't played that many games. I mean, he's a fifth-year senior. So, you know, but in their mind, he hasn't played other games. So Golding said, you know, they've got weapons at a lot of different spots that create some matchup issues. They're going to move the tight end around to create the matchups, really good backs. And he says, you got to pick your poison. So the question becomes, what does the Alabama defense focus on taking away? Well, I, you, I can guarantee you that like Georgia, it starts with stopping the run. But then which receiver? And, you know, is it are they going to force Stetson to go deep? Are they going to try to are they going to try to smother, uh, you know, Brock Bowers or, you know, how much attention are they going to pay to Cook or McIntosh coming to the backfield? It's it's just really interesting. And, you know, Nick Saban. After the last game, when they talked about the pick six on stat and how they slowed him down, he said, you change the picture. As much as you can and make the quarterback make the decisions when he gets the ball in his hands and having a pass rush helps. And I think the George offensive line is, is pretty doggone good. I really do. And I think the scheme is really good with those tight ends. Sometimes three tight end formations, John Fitzpatrick, Darnell Washington, we mentioned Bowers. In addition to these guys being able to catch the ball, they're also excellent blockers. And, and so that's why I think guys like Will Anderson, Aiden Hutchins, Aiden Hutchinson, I think they get somewhat more neutralized because of the nature of the Georgia offense and they do a great job. Warren McClendon was a freshman All-American. He does a great job at right tackle. I thought Jamari played extremely well against Michigan. He looks like he's on point. Uh, he looks sharp. Uh, so I, I'm not so much worried about the Alabama pass rush if I'm Georgia so much as I am the quarterback decision-making and the ability to get some yardage on first down, either through the air or on the ground. I think Georgia, one of the things they did against Michigan that I really liked was they were aggressive early and they got ahead of the chains, and that set them up for third and short. I think they need to stay aggressive against Alabama. Pretty key. Uh, I want to take my my halftime break here. I really appreciate everybody joining me here on the Eagles on the Beat show. Um, great show so far. When I come back, you know, Kirby and Nick talked today. They had a press conference. I'm going to share what Nick Saban said his biggest concern with Georgia was and what Kirby said his biggest concern with Alabama was. Also, Luke Fickle. Talked to Coach Fickle last night. Uh, he won the Eddie Robinson Coach of the Year Award. I went to that banquet uh, at the Media Hotel just so I could talk to Coach Fickle about this game. He talked about the differences between Georgia and Alabama. And then I want to go over my three keys for Alabama and Georgia when each has the ball. Uh, and, and then I'll give you some news at the end of the show involving the transfer portal and, and recruiting that I picked up. So some really good stuff on the second half of the show. But right now, I want to take this break and recognize Ingles. You guys know Ingles has sponsored the On the Beat program. Um, last few years, I really appreciate their sponsorship. 
uh, really appreciate the service, right? I mean, as much as we've relied on Ingles to help us out here at Dog Nation, uh, you know, you've relied on Ingles to, to you know, serve you in the community uh, and be those frontline workers during the pandemic. At times when we, it, it's hard to believe it really wasn't that long ago. We didn't even really want to go out. There was a big fear factor there. And yet we still had to support and supply our families. And we had to rely on people to help us do that. And Ingles was there for us. And let's take this moment right now. Remember and uh, appreciate Ingles. It's in our hearts to feel free. There's been ups and downs, turnarounds, good days and some bad. But we stand together for worse and for better. We'll always have your back. I saw some of the comments about the the press conference today uh, and they should be fired. You know, you would, I thought the same thing, not that they should be fired. I'm not in the cancel culture, right? I make mistakes. All right. I'm going to be the first to tell you that I make mistakes. I, my whole life. All right. And I'm just not one of these people that are like, well, he makes a mistake. you would be fired. Um, there's some things that are fireable mistake offenses, but there's just some things that are mistakes. And somebody made a mistake. And then it was interesting because the coaches were actually uh, at the at the media hotel. And they had this huge room set up, all these chairs. The coaches were on stage. You saw them like 25 yards apart doing a Zoom. And you could hear the echo because the speakers were on, even though there wasn't any media in the room. Because we weren't allowed to go and see them in person. Normally, that would be an in-person deal. But because of COVID... And I don't know, you know, look, man, I, the COVID protocols, I'm I'm still masking up. You know, I got my K95 that I fly in and I'm still taking some precautions and uh, meeting whatever guidelines and restrictions are ahead of me. Um, you know, there's there's plenty of plenty of data out there. Everybody make your own decisions. You know, I understand better safe than sorry. Certainly everyone wants to take any provision. I, I guess what I'm saying, I don't know. I, I thought maybe the media could be in person here. I, I thought that we could do that. Um, but, you know, the, the coaches have a lot of pull and power. And as I think I told you earlier with Kirby, I think Nick Saban is the same way. I think a lot of coaches, is. I think anybody's the same way. If something doesn't help you do your job well, do you really want to make time for it? And I like to think that the media is an important part of our society. I think the 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 media watchdog, I think being the the filter to share information with the fan base. I think the fans are a big part of the sport and I think the media has a role in gathering information and sharing it and sharing interpretation and and expertise and even if you don't agree, different perspectives that that might make you think about things in a different way. Coaches don't see it that way. Like, look, we just want to play football. We don't care about all that other stuff. You know, we need the donors to donate a lot of money. But after that, they could play in front of empty stadiums. They wouldn't care. Their job is to win. They are focused on winning. And that's it. And that's why when you've heard Kirby asked a couple times about, oh, 1980, you know, how do you think about it? Look, Kirby doesn't have time to think about 1980 and get into his feelings about, oh, I know the Georgia fans want this so bad. That's a distraction. 
that doesn't help him land the plane in the storm. That'd be like if the pilot was going, man, I got to save this plane because all those people back there are screaming. And if they die, their families will never say, no, he's focused on the, on the vector and the wing and, and getting the engine restarted. He doesn't have time for the peripherals, peripheries. And Kirby doesn't have time to be in his feelings about 1980. He doesn't. And Stetson doesn't have time to think about how this is a life-defining defining moment. That's why Stetson said, I just want complete passes, man. That's what he meant by that. Okay, that's where the focus level is at. So Nick Saban's biggest concern. I want to share that with you. Somebody asked him that today. And Nick Saban is such a chess master. I think 98% of the time, Nick Saban is being honest. But I think there's that 2% man where he just, every now and then he can drop that pill into the drink, you know, and get you to drink the Kool-Aid. I think he was genuine today. And that's what makes him so effective. I, I like, a, like a good change-up pitcher, like the guy that could, you know, throws 93, 95, 97, and then all of a sudden you get that flow to that 65 and you're swinging your way out in front of it. That's Saban, right? Saban is, I mean, he's a master. I mean, there's nothing else. To, he, is the, he is the greatest coach. He really is. And, and I've been critical of Nick at times because I think he deserves it at times. Nobody's perfect, like I said, including me. But by and large, the guy's smooth. So he said today, I think the biggest challenge in playing George is they have a tremendous front seven. Great size, great players, physical, very instinctive, great speed. The linebackers, uh, N'Kobe Dean and that group, they're fast. They react quickly, and they're very instinctive. So he said if you want to have any excess in this game offensively, you have to at least be able to control those guys up front and their front seven to some degree. He said they have a very good defensive total. But it starts with that. They create a lot of negative plays, some really good pass rushers that can disrupt the quarterback. So I think it probably starts up front in a game like this, and it's going to be critical for us to play well up front in the offensive line to have a chance of being successful on offense. And and, and, and Nick is a gifted speaker. Um, you know, you go back and you, you look at these guys' quotes when you write them out, and the fact that he, that he thinks with proper grammar – and, and can speak with proper grammar off, off the cuff, impromptu, he's, a, he's an amazing speaker. Um, Kirby's biggest concern, uh, and it didn't come out just kind of like, what's your biggest concern? It was, the question was, you know, how do you deal with a team like Alabama? You know, they just ran for over 200 yards, or Brian Robinson over 200 yards against Cincinnati, and but yet they can flip it and throw it. Well, part of the reason Brian Robinson had over 200 yards is because Cincinnati plays a 3-3-5 front. Oh, excuse me. And that's conducive to the, to another team being able to run the ball. Um, but, yes, Alabama is balanced. But but Kirby took it right where I knew he would, okay? It's Bryce Young. And Kirby's blown away. And you can go back and look what he said after the SEC. You know, he said, look, guys, like, this guy is special. Like, almost like this time I mean it. Like, Kirby's always complimentary. Most coaches are. Um, but it was almost like, guys, no, this guy, like, this guy really, really, really is special. And he Kirby's comment was, when you look across the board at the efficiency with which Bryce Young has played with, uh, and he's got good weapons around him, he's got a really good team around him, but make no mistake about it, he's elite at what he does. To have the number of touchdown passes, the interception ratio, I don't know that I've ever really seen anything like it. He said, we talk about him as Houdini because he can make people miss. He can get rid of the ball. People don't even account for the number of times this guy's avoided sacks and thrown the ball with no intention of anyone catching it, but he knows where to throw it, uh, not to take a sack. And when you can do that, you're really elite. 
He said they've got some really good skilled players on the outside, and they know how to use those skilled players. They put them in different positions, and they change things up. So Kirby's concern is Bryce Young and the way that the Alabama um, offense can move the receivers around. I'm going to tell you, uh, but losing John Mechie is absolutely huge, and it's not getting enough attention. It's been underplayed in the press, and it's one of the major reasons why Georgia's going to win this football game. You know, we talked about Bryce with those 15 pressures, and you heard Kirby talk about how many times you almost have him sacked, and he makes a throw on third down. Well, remember when I was telling you earlier, uh, uh, we were talking about the Brock Bauer, Stetson Bennett play and the scramble drill, and and Bauer sits in a hole, and Bennett, you know, believes he's going to continue running and them not being on the same page. Well, Bryce Young and Mechie are on the same page on third down, okay? These are guys who could play catch in the dark. And I asked Bryce Young about that yesterday, and he said twice that you cannot replace this guy. He, you cannot replace this guy. I mean, Bryce is Bryce drinks honesty water. You know, he, the kid's not going to fake it. This is who he is. I've been out there to modern day. When we went out there to modern day uh, this last spring to do all the work on JT Daniels and the you know Georgia receivers were going out there and get that extra work, uh, and I spent some time. Uh, around modern day high school in that program and the way they build those guys um, it, it's on another level. I mean, those quarterbacks out of modern day are just special. And, and you saw it with JT when he was the starter and you're seeing it with Bryce Young and you know, these, these guys don't BS around, man. These are pros. They got pro professional mindsets. And so Bryce Young's not going to tell you, uh, Oh yeah, we just throw the next guy. He's not going to lie to your face. He's not, he's not stupid. He's honest. You know, Hey, look, we can't replace this guy. We got to do something else. It's an opportunity for someone else, but they can't replace uh, John Mechie any more than Georgia could replace Brock Bowers if they needed to. Um, any more than Georgia could have replaced DeAndre Swift when he got injured in 2019. So this is a huge injury. It's going to make a big difference for Bryce on third down. He's not going to be nearly as effective as he was the first game against Georgia when he broke an SEC championship game record with 421 yards. And the Georgia front seven is going to land because Bryce is not going to throw picks um, unless he gets hits while he's throwing. And, and he's going to have to take some sacks. He's going to run around a lot. The, the gingerbread man is going to be on the run. And I don't know if you know how the gingerbread man story ends, but I watched the video of the gingerbread man because I couldn't remember how it ended. Um, I see someone asking a question, Jacob. Williams is the one that tore you up. Yes. And now that Mechie is not out there, uh, George is going to be able to do some different things, or I should say do things differently. When you've got – having one great receiver is not enough to really tear up a good secondary. It's when you have two or when you have three. That's when offenses – like you saw what Pete Golding said, right? The pick your poison deal. It's a lot easier to pick your poison when Mechie's not out there. You can contain Jameson Williams. You can you can stop one guy. It's when you got two and three and four weapons. Like remember that great LSU team? It was because they had the multiple targets. Even out, excuse me, even Alabama. It's because you had two or three guys, not just one guy. If it's just one guy, you can take him away. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to hold Jameson Williams under 100 yards receiving, but you're not going to see 167 yards and you're or 160 for 184 yards like you had in the last game, and you're not going to see a 67-yard pass. Those things aren't going to happen. Georgia busted because I think Kirby overthought. 
He was trying to do some different things to confuse Bryce Young's and, and show some things that he hadn't shown on film because these teams scout one another really deep. And so Kirby's trying to throw a change up and, they, and the defense wasn't able to locate it, if that makes sense. They weren't able to execute and that led to bust. It's like Kirby said, it's not that they beat us, it's that we busted, right? Broken assignment. It wasn't they beat us man on man. You know, that's going to happen from time to time. It was that Georgia didn't carry out assignments. And now without Mechie, Georgia's going to be able to simplify things on defense and get back to playing like they did most of the year in terms of simplifying and guys reacting and not thinking. So the Mechie injury, twofold. One, takes away Bryce's go-to guy, the guy that he can complete passes to in his sleep. And two, it really enables Georgia to simplify things on defense and play faster and freer. And that's another big advantage for Georgia. So talk to uh, Luke Fickle. And, uh, man, I love this guy. Respect Coach Fickle. Liked him last year. Um, like his story. Just what a tough guy he was as a wrestler and a football player. And the way he's built Cincinnati. 31 seniors. A lot of props to the Bearcats for making the college football playoff. Going to Notre Dame and handling Notre Dame decisively at Notre Dame is what put Cincinnati in the playoff. And um, Coach Fickle won the Eddie Robinson Coach of the Year Award last night. And he said, well, first of all, you know, I'm not into these individual individual awards, so I'm going to accept this as a team reward. Um, the team, the team, the team. Uh, you can tell he's programmed, you know, for, for big things. Um, but he, he said that that it's not always the best team that wins. It's the team that plays best. And then he said, so you could say that Alabama was a better team than Cincinnati, bigger, faster, stronger. He gets it. But he didn't think they played well. He said, it, you know, so, yeah, you know, you could say they're a better team. But he was disappointed because he didn't think Cincinnati played well. And he said that there was something to be said for adjusting to Alabama's strength, size, speed. He said they saw that last year against Georgia. But he felt like the stage affected his players, not necessarily Bama's size and speed, because, again, we saw them play Georgia toe-to-toe -to -toe last year, um, more so playing in the college football playoff, being in that different that different level game, that different stage. So I'm not saying Fickle said that the Bearcats beat themselves, but he made it very clear that, that Alabama did not get Cincinnati's best game. And yet I think it was, what, 17-6 to six at the end of three quarters. So uh, I thought that was interesting. Coach Fickle predicts that this game will be a, a slugfest in the first half. He talked about the amount of scouting that's gone into this game for both teams, how well they know one another. Um, he guaranteed that they spend a lot of time in the offseason on one another. I think that's all true. And therefore, he thinks these teams are, are going to like, you know, chess early, right? Everybody's pawn, pawn, pawn. All the pieces are on the board. Everybody's getting set up, right, in a game of chess. And then eventually, you know, the, the, the rooks and the bishops and the knights start flying. And, and that's kind of what he suggested would happen here would be these halftime adjustments that, okay, you know, Nick move, Kirby move, and these teams kind of feeling one another out. And then he thinks the scoring is really going to happen in the second half, a lot of scoring in the second half. And he said the team that stays the coolest down the stretch is going to win. Now, there was a couple reporters around. They were like, well, so you're talking about Bryce Young and Stetson. Well, I'm not making any predictions, he said, you know. You know, again, I, I default back to Stetson's ability to run the ball, stay out of trouble. Um, Bryce Young is a cool guy, but he's going to face more pressure and more heat than I think he's seen all year. I think George is going to get to Bryce Young. I think he's I think he's going to be sacked four times or more. Um, I think Jeff Santel actually had that prediction on our 
crazy and wild cover four last Thursday. And, uh, and, and after hearing Luke Fickle, I can see why Centel was coming from that angle. So I, I do think that there's going to be four or five sacks. I think they're going to land. I think that's going to be key. So Fickle's comments I thought were interesting. If you want to watch the video, I got my, about nine minutes of it up uh, on the story that I've got up on Luke Fickle. Um, I had the light on on my camera. I don't know why the face his face got so washed out by the lighting, but it did. Sorry, Coach Fickle. Uh, not something for your scrapbook, but we really want to hear what he says. And he was really good. Uh, a few things here. My keys when Georgia has the football. Number one, uh, staying out of the longer down and distance situations. One of the things that Todd Munkin and Georgia did against Michigan is they were aggressive early. They were willing to throw the ball on first down. And I think if you can do that to Bama and show Bama, um, you know, that hey, you know, this isn't just going to be some conservative game plan. Uh, I think that Georgia can stay ahead of the chains and try to keep Stetson out of those dangerous third down situations. Any team wants to keep their quarterback out of dangerous third down situations, but that's particularly important in this game. Two, uh, Brock Bowers, keep keep feeding the monster, man. I, you know, if if Brock is healthy, throw him the ball another 10 or 15 times. This guy's catch radius is incredible. Uh, he can make you right. Uh, the run after the catch, um, you know, ride that horse that got you here. Get Brock Bowers the football, keep feeding him. Um, so important for Georgia to keep getting the ball into Brock Bowers' hands. I know that Stetson, he's got those pre-snap reads, and he talked about it last week and said, look, I don't go up to the line of scrimmage looking to throw it to anybody. I go where the read tells me to go. Well, you better believe that every play he knows whether or not the read gives him a chance to throw it to Brock, and if it does, he's going there. Uh, number three, I talked about it earlier, Stetson's feet. Um, you know, 50-plus yards rushing. Need to see Stetson pull it down. Need to see him become a weapon. Kirby's talked about the running ability all year. We need to see it. It's 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 his do or die time. It's a moment of truth. Uh, the reason Stetson's played is his mobility. Got to see it in this game. I think it can be a game changer. You heard me say earlier, I think it's the number one X factor. I think Stetson's got to come through for the Georgia Bulldogs with his feet in this game, as well as his arm. And he has made some nice throws. Uh, so glad to see him win the Orange Bowl MVP trophy. Um, you know, he, he hasn't been celebrated as an All-American or an All-Conference uh, and got the Senior Bowl invite, may not have an NFL career ahead of him, probably doesn't, but he's got that Orange Bowl MVP trophy. He came through in the clutch. Uh, Georgia needed him to have a good game. We talked about how they came out of the corner, and I thought Stetson really performed in that game, and I was really happy for him and his family because he's been through a lot and um, certainly has had a share of critics. And, um, and he's got a tough road to hoe on Monday night. A lot of pressure on that young man. So it was really good for him to get that Orange Bowl MVP trophy and get that, I think, confidence. He can say it didn't matter. Let's be honest, it matters. You know, when you do something great and you're recognized, I think that gives us all a shot of adrenaline and confidence and something to fall back on in our minds if, if self-doubt starts to creep in, which, which in human nature does for all of us at times. Uh, when Alabama has the ball, number one, uh, you got to stop the run game. And this, it's going to be harder, okay? It's going to be harder this time. Brian Robinson was not 100% when he played Georgia in the SEC championship game. He is much better now. And if you've watched any Brian Robinson interviews, this guy is a warrior. I mean, this is one of those guys you got to kill him to stop him. I mean, he's falling forward. He's physical. He runs with heart. He's a Tuscaloosa kid. He's a fifth-year senior. He waited his turn. I mean, this guy... This guy 
is one of those dudes. You go, man, this guy's dangerous. All right. I mean, George has got that Nicobe Dean mindset, that tough Nicobe and Brian Robinson. I mean, these are just two guys. I mean, this is big. Brian Robinson is a big time bet. Now, Brian Robinson's not going to do what Najee did in the NFL. He was never a Heisman candidate, but this is a hard nosed Tuscaloosa kid who loves Alabama through and through, bleeds crimson, and he is going to be tough. He is going to be tough. There are going to be some massive collisions at the line of scrimmage with Brian Robinson and the Georgia front seven. This kid's tough. I'm telling you, he's tough. And you got to stop him. Good luck. So there's going to be a heck of a matchup between those Georgia backers and Brian Robinson. Number, But you got to slow Brian. You can't let him take over when they go tempo. Uh, they like to do that and run the ball. Um, that's the number one thing. Number two, the catch the gingerbread man. Catch the gingerbread man. Trap him. Contain him. Find a way to get to Bryce Young. He's so elusive. He's so quick. The ability to keep his eyes downfield, even as he scrambles. A lot of guys, when they scramble, they kind of lose track of where the receivers are. Bryce doesn't. Bryce got like video game eyes. Like, you know, when you're playing a video game, you can scramble and you can keep looking up because if your guy gets hit on the field in a video game, you don't really feel it. It's just pretend. But in real life, guys feel it and uh, and they can be affected by that. And but Bryce is is just he's just remarkable. He's just he's just remarkable the way he puts guys on skates. Uh, number three, and, and someone mentioned it earlier, contain Jameson Williams, not stop him. You're not going to stop him. He's an explosive player. He's a dynamic player. Um, but you can't give up seven catches for 184 yards and a 67 yard touchdown. And there's no reason why that should happen. Um, you know, I've been covering Georgia four years now, and I can count on one time, one hand. You know, although we're getting close to going to two hands, but on one hand in four years, how many just flat out bust touchdowns I've seen? I, you just don't see them. Georgia K- Kirby and the way he coaches that secondary, they just don't make these mistakes. And they made these mistakes last time, two of them. You can't have that this game. And I don't think that you will. And so I, I feel really strong uh, about Georgia's chances to win this football game. I, I was on the SEC network last Friday, uh, making a prediction. And I kind of went down the list, just like I do on Dog Nation Daily uh, last Wednesday when I said, look, you know, I'm picking Georgia because they have more options. They have more answers. I mean, on offense, you've got this great offensive line. You get, you know, former freshman All-American Warren McClendon. Uh, you know, they, then you've got Cedric Van Pran, who I think's done an unbelievable job as a redshirt freshman at center. And Jamari at left tackle, a team captain, uh, one of the five-star recruit who's really panned out, turned out to be a great leader and a great football player that can play multiple spots, definitely the MVP of the line. You, you've even got a guy, as I said, that can pass block in his sleep and Broderick Jones. I mean, how impressive was he in pass blocking? And he's not even starting, so that's how good. Then you got four running backs, okay? Cook, he can hurt you on the perimeter. Uh, James, uh, you know, he can run in between. You give him some space. Kirby called him the mongoose early in his career because of his ability to kind of slither through there. His body balance, his cutting is a little different. Um, you're going to see the best to cook. Championship stage, you know, these South Florida guys just rise to the occasion. Football is just different for them. You've heard it. The players talked about it. Kenny McIntosh has been hot. Um, you know, he's been the hot hand. He's had the longest run two out of the last three games. You've seen Kenny making some big-time plays. Kenny McIntosh could be on the verge of being that breakout player if he gets enough touches. Uh, Zamir is a guy that Kirby trusts, uh, a guy that Georgia the – that's Georgia's physical guy. They want to use him near the goal line in short yardage. When Zamir turns the pads and gets north and south, uh, he runs tough. 
Um, every now and then he kind of falls into a little stutter step having it in the hole. But when he puts his shoulder down, um, he's really good. And then, of course, uh, Kendall Milton is back. And, and Kendall, to me, still might be the guy that has the highest NFL ceiling. Just the power. You know, I call him the moose. Um, love the way that Milton lowers his shoulder. The, the power that he has, the ability to just gallop away from people. And Kendall had seven carries for 21 yards in the SEC title game. Really didn't look like himself. Now, granted, it was garbage time and there wasn't much space, but I think you could see a better version of Kendall. You know, he's got the potential to be a guy that breaks out. Remember, you know, in 2017, Najee Harris kind of had a breakout that night. I remember seeing him going, man, this guy's going to be unbelievable. Who is he? You know, and uh, I like Dejon Edwards. Now, Dejon hasn't carried the ball uh, when the game's been in the balance at all. Uh, what is it, Connor called something the, the human victory cigar, I think I've heard him referred to as, which is pretty funny. But I like this kid's talent a lot. I hope he stays. Uh, you know, uh, you know, we're going to get to some transfer portal talk here in a minute. Um, but uh, so you got all those weapons. And then on the outside, the receivers you got to throw to. I mean, Lad McConkey, Karis Jackson, made an unbelievable catch that last game. Pickens is back. He wants the ball. Pickens wants the ball. Feed Pickens the ball. It makes unbelievable catches out there on the perimeter. I think you might see Stett go deep a couple times to Pickens in this game. Just got a feeling that Georgia might try to send a message early, and you know George will. Uh, George can go up and get that ball. Uh, Marcus Roseme, Jack Sane is healthy. You know Kirby said he was asked, you know, what area of the team has improved the most that maybe we haven't noticed, and he talked about all the skill position players getting back healthy in the last month. You know, guys like Milton, guys like Pickens, like Roseme, Jack Sane. Um, so there's a lot of different perimeter weapons out there as well. George is loaded. You know, you come right down, you know, front seven, I think I said maybe five out of seven would be first or second round picks. It's at least four. And, you know, look, Keely Ringo was the number one rated quarter in the nation two years. You've had him two years now. You know, coach him up and he's ready. Okay. And, uh, and then on the other side, Darren Kendrick's got a national championship at Clemson coming off a defensive MVP performance. Uh, against Michigan in the Orange Bowl. So, you know, Darian has made himself some money. Now a first-round projected pick, I saw. I still kind of wonder. I'm still not really buying Darian as a first-round pick, but I think he could be a second- or third-round pick. And then, of course, Lewis Seen. I think Lewis is a fan favorite. I think that hit that he had on Kyle Pitts is going to resonate forever. I think we're always going to remember the hit that Seen had on Pitts. Um, and, And Chris Smith you know, the hero of the Clemson game with his pick six. So you've got some unbelievable – and you know, the, the special teams and Jake Camarda. We just take Jake for granted. He's the best punter in the country. Uh, and Podlesny, he's going to hit four out of five for you, right? So I, it, the team's just loaded. He's just loaded. I know Bama's got these guys. But the difference is Georgia got more of a margin for error. You know, it's provided, provided the quarterback plays clean. Georgia's got more of a margin for error. At Alabama, they got Bryce Young, Jameson Williams, and Will Anderson. And, and I'll throw Brian Robinson in there. If those, if one of those four guys doesn't play well, they don't win. That's it. They, they got other talent. They got you know, Evan Neal, you know, their left tackles, first round pick. They've got plenty of talent. Don't get me wrong. But it's not as seasoned. I mean, this Georgia talent has marinated some for four years, some for five, at least three for many. This is an experienced, seasoned, veteran. Georgia football team that knows how to win. Remember a moment ago I was talking about Luke Fickle saying Cincinnati and the stage to it. The stage isn't too big for Georgia. This Georgia's right at home. And they like it that this is a – I don't know why. I'm not saying they don't like Mercedes-Benz Stadium, but they like it that this is a new locale. This is a new venue, brand new place. 
brand new scene. No memories in Indy, okay? Lucas Oil Stadium looks very different than Mercedes-Benz Stadium. The temperature is certainly different up here than in Atlanta. And, and by the way, Lucas Oil Stadium is beautiful. And I've covered games. I've covered a, a couple of Big Ten championship football games in there. I've covered a Final Four in there. And uh, it, it's an awesome, awesome facility. And uh, for those of you that are coming to the game, you're going to love it. For those of you that are going to watch it on TV, you're going to find it aesthetically pleasing. I think you're going to find the scoreboard aesthetically pleasing as well. So I promise you some uh, some portal uh, news. And uh, there was a story I did today, and, and I don't know if you read it, but uh, I was on the, uh, the press conference today, and I asked Nick Saban and Kirby Smart about the NIL money. You know, you've seen some some loose reports. Uh, certainly nothing is documented. Uh, you know, is it really 30 million that Texas A&M spent on recruits via NIL? Is it 20 million? Is it 15? The bottom line is players are going where they're getting paid the most. OK, Lane Kiffin said it last month uh, and Saban and Smart alluded to that today because, uh, you know, it was a few years ago. I was down in Destin and. Nick Saban said it was 2017. It was the summer of 2017. It was right before I started with Dog Nation. I was down there covering that for SEC Country. And the question then was about graduate transfers being immediately eligible within the league. And there had been a rule in the SEC that guys didn't have immediate eligibility transferring in the league, even if they were graduate transfers. And that was something that the league presidents and ADs had voted on. And Jeremy Pruitt went down there shooting his mouth off saying that he wanted this change. You know, Brandon Kennedy was transferring from Bama to Tennessee and this should be changed and yada, yada, yada. And Saban is just like, look, I just want us to enforce the rules we have. And the rule we have is that we decided we didn't want to do this. So why am I the bad guy for saying I want this rule enforced? And then Nick said, how does this, how does this make it better in college football if we allow this? So anyway, I referred to that. And I said, you know, a few years ago, you told us, you know, that free agency was coming. And how has it changed your team? And how do you manage your team and how you manage your team? And uh, looks like I lost my light here. I'll get to what Coach Saban said in a minute. Let's sure why that light went out. There we go. And Coach Saban said, well, name, image, and likeness is a positive thing for players. And they have an opportunity to earn money. And they've always had an opportunity to earn money. But this gives them an opportunity to do it using their name, image, and likeness which I don't think is a bad thing. He said, I think what's a little concerning is how uh, is how is that used to get players to decide where they want to go to school? Because I don't think that was the intention. I don't think that would be the NCAA's intention. I think we probably need some kind of national legislation to sort uh, or control that to some degree, because I think there will be an imbalance relative to who can dominate college football if that's not regulated in some form or fashion. So he's basically saying that if you're going to use NIL money to recruit, you better have a way to legislate it. Because if you don't, uh, the team that can spend the most money, that can be the most effective, um, will create an imbalance in recruiting. Uh, so I thought that that was pretty interesting that he went down that road. He said that the more we get into players making money and players that actually have the opportunity to make money, which he's very clear he's not opposed to, uh, you know, maybe there's some circumstance where there has to be an agreement between the school and the player as to what their commitment is to what they choose to do. Um, you know, there's something to making commitments and fulfilling them. Um, so we think that's important uh, for NIL to be successful. So even if, if players have NIL deals, they still need to have a commitment 
um, to do a certain amount of things for the team. And everybody needs to be upfront with that. Kirby said, you know, he feels there's a lot of similarities. You know, he talked about, you know, it's really tough to navigate at a time right now. He said, you know, we're getting ready to play for a national championship. And a lot of the market, the free agency market out there that's going on is being done while we're trying to prepare for a national championship game. So Kirby calls it free agency also. And the players in the portal um, are the free agents that right now Georgia really can't pursue because the focus is on this championship game. Uh, Kirby says there's many things that go into this that maybe the media and common people don't know. For example, when does your school start? How does that affect things? It affects things in a dynamic manner. Are you a quarter or a semester? There's a lot of competitive advantage into get into getting into the portal in terms of if you're on a quarter system, a semester system. Um, he says then you move to the NIL. He says, I agree with Coach Saban. You're going to have the haves and have-nots. And the separation that's already there is going to grow larger. He said the schools that have the capacity and the ability uh, and are more competitive in the NIL market are going to be the schools that are a step ahead of the other schools. Read through that. It's all about Texas A&M. There's concern. Texas A&M with the number one class. Texas A&M spent a lot of money on NIL um, to get these players. And if we've got Kirby Smart and Nick Saban both saying they want some legislation or some rules in place, that tells you that something's going on because Georgia and Alabama are two of the halves. And they're concerned about A&M. They're concerned about the deeper pocketed institutions and how other schools might use NIL um, relative to Georgia and Alabama, who have good funding but can't match the Texas oil money. Nobody can. Those schools have grants that are unbelievable. And and I don't have those numbers directly in front of me um, because we don't, you know, just like Kirby's getting ready for the championship game, I'm covering a championship game. There's going to be a lot of talk about NIL in this offseason. There's going to be a lot of talk about transfer portal in this offseason. And there's going to be a lot of transfers uh, going out of Georgia. You got to know that. And and I I can't, I don't have anybody on line one telling me that when the clock hits zero that they're going to leave. But I, I think most of us probably expect Carson Beck to leave. You know, Carson was the number two guy in the spring. Um, Kirby talked to the touchdown club about him, loved him, talked him up, said he'd grown. Um, you know, he was the, named him the number two guy and then Stetson started. Okay. And, and we saw, we all saw that Carson didn't necessarily react well in terms of how he played and the opportunities that he got this year. I don't know what's going on at practice. I can't guarantee you he's going anywhere. I don't know that for sure, but you would think that he might be a strong candidate to leave. Uh, and, and we, again, we don't really know what's going to happen with the quarterback situation. And I think it's fluid. I don't think it's predetermined. You know, there's speculation. Does Stetson come back? Does Stetson leave? It, does it deter, is it determined on whether or not Stetson wins this game or loses this game? Um, I can tell you I know that, that JT Daniels wants to come back and take graduate-level classes, that I know. But Willie, does Kirby want JT Daniels back? Um, is he a part of the future? Is he part of the plan? If he's not a part of the plan, well, then obviously, you know, why would he come back? But what, what, is, what happens when Kirby meets with, with him? I don't know the answer to that question. Um, Brock Vandergriff, incredible five-star talent. I don't have any reason to believe he's leaving. But but Brock was another guy that was in such high demand, um, you know, that didn't get an opportunity this year, you know, and it just that's just the way it worked out. Uh, he could be the next man up. He could be the starter. Again, I don't know. The spectrum is wide on this, and um, 
and of course you got Gunnar Stockton coming in. That's the one guy for sure you know will be there. Uh, but but Caleb Williams, uh, I'm told, is down to Georgia and Southern Cal. And will Caleb Williams? You know, when this first came out, I said this is ridiculous. Let's why are we even wasting? Our, I was told by a, a good source that Caleb Williams is down to Georgia and USC. And what happens Monday night and the fallout that comes out of it, Caleb Williams could be in the mix. May not be in the mix. We're going to see. But 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 he's real on Georgia. He's a player that Georgia recruited. So a lot of excitement there, a lot of possibilities for the future of Georgia football. It's almost like, you know, brain overload. You know, you're like, look, you know, we're, we're – we got enough to focus on with this national championship game. Now you're talking about players leaving, and Caleb was like, "Yeah, man, uh, everybody saw me. Oh, you're talking, why are you talking? Because I'm working. Because I'm up late. Because because I'm writing. Because I'm talking to people on the phone. Because this is like, if I'm an accountant, this is my tax season. Because I've got information overload happening on Georgia football right now, and uh, that's my job is to, to be in tune and be in touch and." And, you know, TV shows and radio shows and writing stories and talking to sources and interacting. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is what I do and I uh, love it. Uh, but that's why. Right. That's why. That's why I can't keep my phone charged or my my light charged. Um, so I want to take a look on uh, see if you guys have some questions, some comments. Um, Jacob O'Neill says he's got some content to go make. <laughs> hey, Jacob. Uh, sorry to delay you, man. Um what else we got here? You guys got questions for me here before I go tonight? I'm looking at the uh, comments. When I'm doing the show um, tonight, I didn't look at the comments as I was doing the show because I was pretty focused on the message that I wanted to deliver. Uh, but now I'm looking at the comments. So now I can see uh, Melissa Knight wants to know, will we see more of Pickens in the game? I, I don't think you could help but see more Pickens. I think he had, what, two, one or two targets, and he pulled it in on third down. I, I think George is going to be healthier. Um I see Frank DiCarlo. No, I won't be on at halftime. I'll be at the championship game. We're not allowed to live stream there, so no halftime show. Uh, appreciate the comment from Pete Wilson about the suit on Friday. The sports coat, uh, you know, that's kind of a, uh, you know, that's a that's an SEC network deal there. Um, you know, uh, I don't wear a sports coat like every day in real life, but national television kind of brings that out. And, and just the setting of it too, right? Like, when we do our dog nation shows, you know, it's a professional clean look because we're a professional clean outfit, but you know, it's a little bit more casual because I like to interact with the audience. And that goes back to the, the Friday night mics during the pandemic. We all shared a lot of time together. You know, you guys kept me going. Um, I hope some of my messages kept you going. That was something I look forward to every week. That was my, I mean, that was so genuine because that was my contact with reality, right? I was, I was not going out. I was not, out socializing. Um, and I still really don't, I really don't have time for it. I mean, there's, there's time to write, there's time to do you know TV, radio and exercise, which I don't do enough. I need to get back on it, but there's really not much time to just socialize. And so sitting in front of that camera with you all um, during that pan the height of the pandemic was my attachment, you know, and it was, it was almost therapeutic for me. And you guys saw that, right? I mean, you saw there was some moments where, you know, that was stream of conscious for Mike, right? And hope I didn't hurt anybody's feelings, you know, but uh, I still do that from time to time. You know, listen, here's the deal. Uh, I deliver truth and, I, and my my truth, okay? So I want to be clear on that. 
everybody's got a different version of truth, I believe. Everyone has, and what I mean by that is everyone has a different perspective. Everyone has a different uh, set of data that they draw from for their opinions. Everyone has lived different places, traveled different places, and where you've been shapes how you think. I've been fortunate to cover, I don't know, six or seven different programs, different, you know, 15, 20 different major college coaches, professional athletes in different sports. That background as a journalist has opened me, opened my eyes up to a lot of different perspectives. And, and I served in the military. And what a great blessing that was to honor my country, serve my country, but also meet people from different backgrounds. And that, I believe, has given me a skill set to relate and maybe recognize some things. Now, again, that doesn't mean I'm always right, but it gives me a perspective that's rooted uh, in information and experience. And so I don't expect everyone to see things like me or maybe know where I'm coming from. Uh, and when I express my opinions, I do so confidently if it's something that I feel strongly about. Now, you guys know if there's something I don't feel strongly about, I'll tell you, I don't know. Like, I really didn't know what was going to happen in the Michigan game. I didn't know what Georgia was going to come out like. I feel confident they're going to come out strong in this game. I feel confident Georgia's going to win this game. If, if they lose, the Alabama fans will have a field day because it'll be the second time I've been confident in Georgia and they've lost. I'm just saying I feel a little different about this one, listening to these guys talk. I just, in the Jordan Davis interview, if you can click on that story on Dog Nation, read that story today, Watch the video at the bottom of it and listen to Jordan Davis yourself. Tell me you don't think 99 is going to have a special night. Uh, does Chris Smith have another year of eligibility? Tom Gross wants to know the answer is yes. And Christopher Smith is expected to come back. So that is good news. I haven't reported that. It hasn't been a headline. But I'm, everything I'm hearing is that Chris Smith is coming back. I expect him to be like a senior leader, maybe even an SEC media guy. Um, we, you guys have seen interviews with Christopher Smith. He's a great story. Um, you know, when Richard LeCount went down last year, Chris admits, you know, he wasn't as physically ready as he is now. And over the off season, it's like, you know, like the old comic book ad, the guy that gets sand kicked in his face, Christopher Smith got in the gym and got big and bad and, and came out and beat Clemson. And I'm so proud of Christopher Smith. I love the Christopher Smith story. He didn't transfer away. Uh, he stuck it out. He stayed at Georgia the whole time. Didn't leave, you know, so that to me, I love that story. Uh, I see Wade Wolford thinks JT's history at Georgia. Maybe he is. I don't know the answer to that. I know that JT loves Georgia. I know he wants to be at Georgia, but I don't know that Kirby wants that Kirby can guarantee that JT is going to be the guy next year. And if JT doesn't fit, he doesn't fit. And that's up for coach smart and Coach Munkin to determine. It's hard for a lot of us that, you know, followed this story. The JT story is a sensitive one. I don't want to use the word controversial because I don't think there's any controversy about it. Kirby Smart makes a decision on who he plays, and he plays them, and that's the end of it, period. That's it. There's no controversy. But I think it's a story that, that strikes us because we saw JT go to media days. We saw JT light it up. We saw JT save the end of last season. You know, the performance against Cincinnati in the fourth quarter – you know, and, and JT opened our mind up to explosive offense with 400 yards and and Munkin's five wide air raid concept. And that's what we all thought. And that's what Georgia thought. And that's what they showed us in the G day. It's what they showed us, you know, told us about the whole offseason. But then things happen. Circumstances happen. Injuries to receivers. You know, your first game, you know, but oh, he played. 
look, you've got a bunch of rookies out there. Ladd McConkey didn't have a career catch, dropped the ball inside the five-yard line. Brock Bowers missed assignments. That was his first football game, right? Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint coming off an ankle. Uh, Kiaris wasn't even playing receiver because he was still injured. Burton was out there, but he missed two-thirds of the, of the uh, fall drills. So there wasn't much adjusting. That was not the same skill positions that you see now. Um, and it was a game you had to kind of survive, right? And then we saw some big performances against South Carolina. and Van- So I guess what I'm saying is this. If you're a JT fan, you should be. He's 7-0. All he did was win here. And he's a good guy. And if you're a Stetson fan, that's fine too, right? Because all Stetson's done is win except for one game. And, and he's given his all. And he's getting everything out of himself. So, you know, you, you can be a fan of both of these guys. You can like both of these guys. Um, it is confusing. It's harder than ever to be a college fan right now because players, the transfer portal has just, it's changed everything. You know, so I, I get it. I understand why there's a lot of co- a conversation and talk, but don't tear yourself up about it. Don't turn inward on the team. Don't get down on one of the two guys. Root for both of them. And as far as the future of JT or Stetson or or whoever, the chips are going to fall. And guess what? Curve, it doesn't matter what you say. Doesn't matter what you think. Doesn't matter what you post on Twitter. Kirby Smart ain't looking at any of it. Kirby's doing what he believes is best for Georgia. And Kirby is the guy that runs the program that the university has their trust in. And you just got to go with it. It's just the way it is. Like when you're a kid, hey, what's for dinner tonight, mom? Chicken. Well, I don't want chicken. Too bad. <laughs> I don't know about you. I didn't have much control over what was for dinner. There were certain things mom would make I'd get pretty excited about. You don't like it? Don't eat it. We had pear trees outside. Dad say, well, we got a pear tree out there. You can go out there and eat as many pears as you want. And sometimes I did. Um, and after a while you realize, you know what, maybe that chicken's not so bad after all. My point is, you know, getting to the JT Daniels and the Bryce Young neutrality thinking both these guys are like mentally trained guys. Don't get upset or worry about the things that you can't control, right? Don't get upset or worry about it because you can't control it. Kirby's going to run it. And if you're a Georgia fan, it's an exciting time, regardless of who's at quarterback, There's going to be somebody you're going to be cheering for next year. There's going to be some guys in camp competing for the positions. There's going to be new storylines. I think this one probably exhausted all of us because at times we didn't completely understand it, you know, but it's come to fruition. Coach Munkins talked. Stutz got an Orange Bowl MVP, and you're favored to beat Bam in the national championship game. Take that. Be happy with that. That's my advice. And, And whatever happens to JT, wish him the best. If he's here, if he's somewhere else, great. Same thing with Lanning. You know, you hate it that Lanning's leaving because Lanning is so beloved. I think he meant so much to that defense. But I'm going to tell you, I am going to hope for good things for Dan Lanning at Oregon. You know, the sports writer, who do you root for thing? I've said it all along. You don't root for teams, you root for people. You meet special people and you root for those people. And I think most everyone that I know in the, in the dog nation, like I think Oregon is going to have a lot of fans in Georgia. Like when they look at their their web page to see where the computer hits are coming from, they're going to see a lot in the Pacific Northwest, and then they're going to see a patch in Georgia because Georgia fans are going to follow Dan Lanning. And now the way college football has changed with the transfers, when, when these kids transfer, you're going to follow that kid. I think some of you will. I really do. I think you're going to keep up with him when he goes somewhere. You're going to want to see good things from that player when he transfers out. 
because they're not transferring out because they don't like Georgia. They're transferring out because, you know, Georgia's taking somebody over them. And that's the nature of the beast when you're at a really special place like Georgia that gets such incredible talent. There's going to be some peripheral damage. There's going to be some talent that's left on the cutting cutting floor at Georgia, especially a quarterback, right? You know, Dwan Mathis, the way Georgia fans supported Dwana Temple was unbelievable. I wrote the story about Dwana Temple. I got this Facebook notices. I'm still getting them. Georgia fans are still reading that story about Dwan Mathis from two months ago. So I, I guess my point is this is the new world, and this is something we all have to adjust to as college players transferring the free agent market. Um, so kind of a long answer there, but kind of open that up. And I, I wanted to share a perspective on you. And, and again, I, I don't try to create, uh, I don't, I don't say things just to say things. Okay. I, I tell you the truth. Now, some people can't handle the truth. You, you remember that line from the movie? You can't handle the truth. That's true. Some people, it blows their mind, right? That if you ever saw something about Mary, the, the hitchhiker with the seven minute mad abs idea, and Ben Stiller tells him about six minute abs, and the guy just can't handle that concept. Some people can't handle the truth. And I see it on my on my social media all the time. And I don't know what to do except say, sorry, dude, I'm not holding back. You know, this is what I do is I tell the truth and I tell what I know and I share it. And But other people don't say it. Well, that's, that's them, okay? I don't have enough time left on this earth to be holding back anything, right? I'm going to share things that I think that Georgia fans would want to know. That's what I get paid to do. Uh, what else we got? Questions. Ringo needs to step up his quarterback play, DeMarco Thomas says. Ringo just needs to be careful not to blow assignment. Play assignment football. The rest will take care of itself. Uh, Frank Plumbo wants to know which receiver has a huge day for UGA tomorrow. Not tight end or running back. Which receiver? I am uh, I'm kind of become a Lad McConkey guy. I'm a sucker for Lad McConkey. Love the Lad McConkey story. Love that Tennessee wouldn't give him a look, but Kirby saw something, believed in him. Lad worked his tail off that first year. Um, he's a player. Now he dropped again. He had to drop against Clemson, and Lad said that. That's what all, another thing I liked. Lad said I should have caught that. I like these guys that are accountable. Accountable. I'm a sucker for accountability. If you're accountable, then I love you, man. I love the people that can look you in the eyes. Yeah, that, the Jordan Davis thing, saying I I wasn't in the good shape. I, the fact that Jordan on the verge of making millions outland trophy Benaric, he could have been like, man, whatever. But he's like, no, no, that did hurt. Cause I wasn't, you know, and I just, man, that what a character guy, right? That's why, that's why. Um, Dominic Blaylock, Eric Gilbert. Look, Martin, I don't know. I mean, the Gilbert situation, obviously the kid had a personal issue. Um, he wasn't ready for football, at Georgia. I can't predict the future. I can't predict the future for that young man. And 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 I'm not I'm not knocking on his door and looking through his windows to see how he is. That's just not the way we operate. Um, you know, not for that, not for that kid. I, I think you got to give that situation space. I think you got to trust the family. I think Kirby and his staff will evaluate it. I think the Gilbert family will do what's best for Eric. Um, I think that's just where you leave it, right? Uh, you know, and, uh, as for Blaylock, you know, another difficult situation, uh, a knee injury that lingered, uh, and then a hamstring complicating list. That's a lot. That's a lot on a kid, a lot going on there. Another situation, um, you know, not everything, every case is different. And these are, these are human beings here. Okay. 
It's not like, uh, you know, take two aspirin and call me in the morning. I mean, there's real life stuff happening with all these stories above and beyond the injuries. So I think you just got to give it space. And uh, I know that's not a satisfactory answer, but that's just the truth. It's just the truth. What do I think about what the Ohio State coach said about George? I, I must have missed that, Terry. Um, I haven't seen any uh, Ryan Day quotes on Georgia. Uh, let's take a look and see. I'll, I'll do a Ryan Day, Georgia here. Because now you've, you've piqued my curiosity. I've cast a large web today, and I'm a little disappointed that something got by me because I make it. I had a football writers. We had a board meeting today. Um, and so I was there. Uh, I don't see the Ryan Day comments on Georgia. So you're going to have to fill me in on what Ryan Day said about Georgia. Apologize for that. Uh, what else we got here? Any other questions? Doesn't seem like Munkin's going anywhere, Thomas Tyson says. Hope you're right for Georgia's sake. He's an awful talented guy. Uh, but you know what? Uh, I think that, I think that uh, him and Kirby have a good relationship. So I hope you're right. I hope Munkin doesn't go anywhere. Uh, be nice to see Pickens get five catches, Joel Moody says. Uh, Joel Moody says, um, you know, yes and no. If George gets five catches, I almost wonder if it's a comeback situation. Um, you wonder if it's a JT situation. I mean, one thing about JT is him and Pickens have got a connection. They, I think the last four games last year, I think George had like 23 catches for 370 yards. That's what I mean about Georgia having options. I, I don't know that we're going to see JT. I don't think it's going to get to that point. I think Georgia is going to control the game, and I don't think that Kirby's going to need to turn to JT. Um, if he needed to, he could, but I just think this Georgia defense is really going to clamp down on Bama. Dog 57 injury report on Bama. Listen, dog, when I don't know, I don't know. And last time I thought Brian Robinson wasn't going to play. I thought I got some really good information the night before uh, at the hotel. I, I, I talked to a couple of Bama people, and – I was told he didn't make the, the trip with the team, and I'm like, yep, he's not going to play, and that's going to be Georgia's winning edge. And then Brian Robinson, like a zombie man, he's out there playing. You know, these Alabama offensive linemen that were banged up, I think they're going to go. Uh, Jesse Dellinger says, does Amir White crack 100? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, I, You know, I, I – I, you know, I, I always sometimes I the light flashes and I tell myself you shouldn't say this, but Zamir's getting too many carries, man. I think Kenny needs more carries. Uh, I think Cook needs to touch the ball more. I think Zamir is a, at this stage of the season a situational guy for short yardage, first down runs, you know, downhill, goal line. But I think he got to get McIntosh more. To, you know, McIntosh has more game breaking ability. We've seen it. He's got better vision. He's also a better receiver. I think Zamir is fine. I just don't think he should be getting 12 or 15 carries in McIntosh, too. That's my personal opinion. Um, I could be wrong. Who knows? Maybe Kirby will give it to him 18 times and he'll go for 150. But I don't think so. You're asking me, and my answer is no. I think every carry is important, and I think you've got to put the ball in the hands of explosive players. And Marshall Colbert uh, pointing that out. He's good. He's just not explosive, and I think you need explosive. Thomas T-Bone, my prediction, I said it last uh, Friday, I went on a roof across the street from the hotel. Thought this would be a great idea, right? So you guys saw I had the sport coat, tie on, feeling pretty good, layered up. And I'm going to find this location outside, right? Because, if, look, if SEC Network's coming to Dog Nation, we got to deliver for the SEC Network. Dog Nation, SEC Network, Feinbaum, we got a great relationship. This goes way back. Feinbaum loves him some Dog Nation. You guys remember that last summer. 
Everybody loves Dog Nation. SEC Network loves Dog Nation. So if they're going to give me a live shot. I got to figure I got to stand somewhere nice. So that big building behind me on top of the roof across the street. And I'm feeling good about the shot. You know, my camera's set up. I can see this big building behind me. Lighting's good. Man, they're giving me this countdown in my ear. I got my earpiece in. They're talking to me. You can't see it, but I can hear the producer. I can hear the show going. They're like 45, 30, you know, 15. And right at 15, this wind. I just, like, where does this wind come from? Whoosh. And my hair just blows all over the place. It looked like some wild man. And look, I'm not some prissy guy that's got to have perfect hair every day. But if you're going to be on TV, you want to have good hair. I don't care, right? I, you're, you know, mom and dad are watching in Arizona. Wind comes, blows my hair up. It's like, oh, man, I can't adjust. 15 seconds, ain't time. You know, so boom, I'm doing a live interview. And my hair's all over. And I said, you know what? This is how it is. I, and I really didn't feel cold. But then I noticed, like, my, my face isn't moving like it should. And my mouth is, like, freezing. And so my words, and I'm not spitting, but the, the foam is sticking because it's, like, 15 degrees and it's not cold. It's not mental toughness. It's just, this is taking effect on my body. This wind is making my skin condense and my mouth work in a different way. So I struggled my way through it to 27, 24, uh, George. Tom Gross, that's right. Feinbaum's got it solved. He doesn't need, hey, look, everybody can't have Brandon Adams hair, Jeff Centel hair. Those guys got perfect hair. I don't know how they do it. Uh, oh, to be young again. Um, you think uh, Brinson Robinson starts next year? Okay, y'all having some fun with the comments. Have fun tonight. Uh, yes, Jerry Dogs fan, the old ball coach picked UGA. I've actually talked with Coach Spurrier uh, three times over the last week. Um, just kind of a little tease. So a week from a week from Monday, um, I'm going to be doing a Zoom that's going to be on SEC Country. And part of it is going to be on Dog Nation. You guys are going to have – and Steve Spurrier is going to be on it. And Chris Doring from the SEC Network is going to be on it. And Ryan McGee from the SEC Network is going to be on it. And Dennis Dodd from CBS Sports is going to be on it. And there's going to be other SEC people on this call. And so I've had to talk to Coach Spurrier because uh, we started the Steve Spurrier Coach of the Year Award that goes to the first-year coach of the year. And then we also honor the best freshman players in the country in the freshman American team. So I've talked to the old ball coach a lot. And every time I talk to him, what do you think of the, what do you think of the George game? Like, what do you think? I say, hi, coach, I, I think they're going to win. I think they're – I do too. I just think they're just due. George's due. Kirby's due. They're ready for this. They're, they're going to get it done. Well, what about that? I don't, I don't care about that, he said. I can feel it. George is going to win. So he has been adamant. Uh, revenge games, you know, um, in 1996 – Whereas at 97, Florida State beat Florida in the regular season. Florida came back and beat them uh, in the Sugar Bowl to win a national title. Uh, that's a recent revenge game. Of course, you know LSU Alabama 2011. Kirby was there. LSU beats Bama nine to six in the regular season. Bama comes back. It comes back and beats them in a national championship 21 to zero. One of the two times Alabama's won a national title without even winning the SEC. Think about that one. And I compare this. I compare the Kirby. Saban thing, and this really kind of dates me, but I compare it to the Switzer-Tom Osborne deal. Oklahoma uh, beat Nebraska, I think, five times in a row before Tom Osborne finally conquered. And then you saw the dominance that the Huskers had. I kind of see that here. You know, I, I kind of see this Kirby, uh, Kirby Saban thing like that. And I think once Kirby beats him, I think he wins a couple more. 
and uh, momentum. I think momentum is everything. I think it's everything in the game, and I think it's everything in the program because of the things we talked about, those finances, those dollars, those NIL deals. When you win championships, that instills more confidence, right? Everybody wants to be a part of a good thing. It's a lot easier for donors and corporations to give money to a national championship program and be associated with a national championship program than a program that's viewed as one that can't get over the hump. That's just the nature of the beast, right? The rich get richer. And so uh, that's why I think there's so much riding on this game. It's so important. Uh, what else we got tonight, guys? Any other questions for me? I know Brandon will have a pregame show tomorrow. Uh, Connor and I will have more content for you tomorrow. I'll get up early. And I'll write some stories for you in the morning. Um, I've got more to write about on game day. Uh, you'll see uh, Jack Leo has been a contributor for us all year. I appreciate Jack. Uh, you know, he does some some on-the-spot stuff. He's done some basketball coverage. Um, tough game for Green the other night. Uh, they're just they just don't have any bullets in the gun, man. Uh, what other question? What conference are the refs from? I don't know. I'll admit I don't have not that far yet. Uh, the mood up here, Bobby. A lot of Georgia fans, man. Glad you asked that. The Georgia fans are out in force, and I think there's going to be more dog fans uh, at the game, and I think the players are in a great mental state. Great mental state. That's why I picked Georgia to win. I'm going to shut it down. I'm going to thank you guys for joining me. Uh, I want to invite you to to, uh, follow me on – Oh, Chuck wants to know if I'll admit I was wrong about Stett. I don't think I was wrong. I thought he played bad against Alabama in the SEC championship game, and the interceptions were costly. Um, you know, I, it doesn't change how he played against Florida. Um, doesn't change that there's questions. I hope he wins. I hope he plays better. But, you know, what we've seen is what we've seen, for better or worse, from all these players. Uh, you know, if you thought Georgia was a great football team that would go undefeated, uh, and they lost to Alabama. Were you wrong about that? Yeah, but they were still a great football team. But we can't change that SEC championship game. You know, the cool thing and the thing that these players took away from it was they're getting another chance. And they're going to make the most of this chance. And if Georgia gets good quarterback play, regardless of who's under center, they're going to win this football game. They're going to win this football game. And Stetson won that Orange Bowl MVP. And I think he can continue to play that well. And as I said, I believe that he's going to get it done with his feet. And I think that's going to be the difference in the game. So I hope you guys, uh, I hope you guys feel that confidence. I hope I'm right. I feel like I'm right. Got to be right this time. Got to be right this time. Don't want to be wrong. It's all about being right and, and delivering truth. So again, enjoy the game and the buildup, have fun with it. It's been an unbelievable season. Um, we're, I'm still in the middle of it, right? It's just been so crazy that it's happened. And at some point, I'm going to be able to step back and look at it in its entirety. But I can tell you, these dogs have worked hard, and Kirby's coached hard, and the fans have been unbelievable. The, I've never – I've covered a few undefeated teams before, but the Georgia fans have been an overwhelming force of positivity. So carry that with you. I do think that's part of the story. And, um, man, we'll check in with you tomorrow at some point. Everybody have a great night. And, uh, yeah, let's see how it all works out tomorrow night at Lucas Oil Stadium. Thank you for the production, Michael Carvel, and I'll be talking to you guys again real soon.